If you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through the end of verse 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good land and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God's word. Before we pray, you'll see a picture of King's Baptist Church, Pastor Derek. Let's pray for them as well. Would you join me? Father, thank you for our brothers and sisters at King's Baptist. These are people that you chose. You chose them uh, just as you chose us. And so we are not the ones who do the choosing of the church. You do it. And it's a beautiful thing. And so we pray for them as we pray for them, we pray for ourselves that uh, as the Word of God is opened, uh, as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we do all of our worship, may you work in such a way, Holy Spirit, that our eyes would be open. And in the midst of this brutal, hard, cold world, may we see there is a God who reigns. There is a living God who speaks and hears. And may our, our heart be open and riveted by this great God. In his name we pray, amen. Now you're going to see a picture on the overhead of two people you might know, but most likely you won't know. On the right-hand side is a picture of President James Garfield, the 
20th president of the United States. He took office in March of 1881, and he was assassinated in the month of September of that same year by the man on the left, Charles Gateau. What has always fascinated me about the story of James Garfield and his assassination is that Charles Gateau called the assassination, quote, a divine command. In other words, he was persuaded, and you can look this up, he was persuaded that God commanded him, that God told him, that God spoke to him to kill President James Garfield. In fact, Gateau compared his plight, interestingly, to that of Moses. He said these words, God kept Moses, he will me, and I fear no man. You do see our dilemma, don't you? Why should we believe God spoke to Moses from a burning bush, but not believe that God spoke to Charles Gateau? Charles said God told him to do it. And we're reading here that God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. There's a new program on Sunday evenings on CBS called God Friended Me. How many of you have seen it? Anybody? Anybody seen it? Some, some of you have. Okay. I tuned into the first episode. I, I, I wanted to just get a feel for how this was going to be handled. It's about a man by the name of Miles Finer. He's an atheist with a podcast. And in the very first episode, right at the beginning, and I was amazed at this. I, I, was, I wasn't expecting this. Right at the beginning, he's interviewing a female rabbi. And, you know, he's saying there is no God, and she's saying, hey, you need to be more open to this. And he says this, if I told you God sent me a message from a burning bush, you'd think I was insane. And I thought, hmm, how current, how current, you know. Um, he brings up, you know, in other words, he brings up this bizarre, extraordinary, amazing thing that God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. And then the program is based on this, that Miles Finer, this atheist who has a podcast and telling everybody there is no God, it's, it's based upon this premise. He receives a friend request from God. And I thought, why should we believe that God spoke to Moses from a burning bush but not believe that God sends friend requests? Now, let's be clear at the very beginning. The God of the Bible is a God who speaks. We know this because in the book of Genesis, we find in the very first chapter, God speaks and says, let there be light. And there was. We also know from a book of the Bible in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 1. Notice these words. Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, friends, I don't, I don't know of too many things that are more important than we understand that the God who made the world and everything in it is a God who communicates, a God who speaks. So yes, God speaks, but does he do it from a burning bush? I mean, let's just ask the question, should we believe this? Should we believe this? You see, this is a stretch, folks. This is a stretch when we read that God, the God, this everlasting, eternal, almighty, holy, we could go on and on, this God spoke from a burning bush. This is a stretch. In fact, I would go as far as to say is there's some Christians that might be embarrassed by this. Oh, you know, I look, I believe the Bible and I believe in Jesus, but God speaking from a burning bush. In fact, I read an article the other day where somebody just, they just could not deal with it and they said Moses had to be on hallucinogenics. In other words, Moses was high. And look, you know, look, 
we've got to ask the question, is this, is this credible or is it incredible? By credible, I mean, is it convincing? Is it, is it able to be believed or is it incredible, which would be impossible to believe? Or can we just all agree that it's pretty difficult to believe, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you're a Christian and you say, look, I, you know, I'm, on, I'm on board with a lot of things in the Bible, but when I read something like this, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of difficult to believe. So for the remainder of our time this morning, even though this is extraordinary, even though it may be difficult to, to wrap our minds around, I, I want to talk about the fact that we should and can believe this happened and that this is truly God and explain why. So before we do that, the first thing, I want you to step back just for a moment because we're going through a series in the book of Exodus and we're not going verse by verse. We're kind of doing a flyover to get the real gist of this story because this story is our family story. What what I mean by that is if you're a Christian, if, if, if you know Jesus in a saving way, this Exodus is our family story. It's a story about God setting people free from an oppressive slave master that they might come and serve him. And friends, don't miss this. We should see that Israel's bondage is a picture of our own slavery to sin. And until we come to faith in the deliverer, Jesus Christ, we are living, you might say, in the Egypt of our sin. In other words, we are slaves to our passions and our desires. I know that to be true. If you can remember back far enough before you came to Christ and he rescued you and set you free, you know what it was like to be on the hook. You were were a slave to your passions and your desires. And so this story, friend, is important. It's, 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 It's pointing out the slavery of our sin and our need for a deliverer in the person of Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 3, we're introduced to Moses God's chosen human instrument to deliver his people. And Moses in chapter 3 is having an encounter with God. Now, friends, this is big. I mean, for, for Moses to have an encounter with God and God speak to him from a burning bush, this is not ordinary. This is not everyday sort of stuff, okay? So this is a big deal. So Moses has an encounter with God, and you'll see a map. Uh, he has it. In a, in a place in the Middle East near Mount Horeb. You'll notice on the right-hand side is the land of Midian, uh, where his father-in-law was from, Jethro. And on the left-hand side would be the land of Egypt. And Moses is not in Egypt now. He is, he is in this area where it speaks of being in the west side of the wilderness. So the, the author wants us to know that he's in the wilderness. He's not in the city, okay? And he's at a mountain that has three names. One, it's the mountain of God. We, we read that in the text. But also, it's, it's Mount Horeb. But later in this Exodus story, we're going to find that it's Mount Sinai. It's, it's the mountain where God gathers his people to give them the law, his Ten Commandments. Now, to set, the, to set our story here, let's notice something that's really important, I think. Moses is not looking for God. I think it's really important. Moses is not looking for you. He's not out in the wilderness going, oh God, where are you? If, you? if you'll show yourself, I'll serve you forever. If you'll reveal yourself, I'll do this. And uh, Moses is not, he's not in a temple. He's not praying. He's not fasting. He's not doing anything religious. In fact, what is he doing? He's tending sheep. He's doing a menial, ordinary job. Yet in spite of that, 
In spite of that, in spite of the fact that he's not looking for God, God comes to him. God comes to him. I find great, great comfort in that. I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking for God when he found me. And my guess is you weren't either. And Moses is not looking for God, but God shows up. And we see it in verse 2. Look at it. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Bush. Hmm. Now, let me ask you, what else would you expect in the wilderness? Because, you know, we're, trying to just, we're just trying to wrap our head around this. Is this a credible story? Is this real? Can we believe this? What else would we expect in the wilderness but a bush? You know, I've read about this area. It's, it's filled with bramble bushes, most, most likely a bramble bush. Now, what else would we expect in the wilderness? Would we expect God to speak from a PlayStation, a bass boat, you know? That would have been, that would have been really, you know, difficult for me to swallow. You know, and, 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 and in the wilderness, come along a bass boat, and God spoke from the bass boat. I, yeah, I'd have probably said, whoop, I'm out, you know. But I want you to notice he spoke from a bush. That makes sense. It's still incredible. I mean, it's still, it'll just blow your mind, you know, but still difficult to believe. But we have a good starting place here. But then also it says, the angel of the Lord. Did you see that in verse 2? And the angel of the Lord appeared. Now, you might go, okay, you, you know, you, you collect angels and that sort of thing. And so you, you think about angels, you, you think, okay, it's a messenger from God. God, God sent this special angel down, you know. It's, uh, you know, the Freddie Helm song, you are my special angel sent from up above, you know. Uh, but did you notice what it says? It says the angel of the what? Lord? Is that... Is that in all caps in your Bible, right? It's all caps? Okay, good. This is not any ordinary angel because in verse 4, here's what we read. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him. Friend, look, this is not some ordinary angel. This is God. This is God. So wait a minute, you go, what, what, what? Why does it say angel of the Lord? It's because this is what is known as a theophany. A theophany is God made manifest. Now listen to me closely, okay? What do we know about God from the scriptures? God is what? Spirit. God is spirit, therefore he is invisible. So if you're invisible, you're going to have to do something to make yourself visible, right? A theophany is when the invisible majesty of God is partially unveiled and made visible. And friends, there's many examples of this in the Bible. Read them. They're there. Angel of the Lord. And in this case, the invisible majesty of God is partially unveiled and made visible as a flame of fire in a bush. And that the bush is not consumed is really interesting because it indicates that the fire was in the bush, not of the bush. Because he said, he, he was amazed. You look at the bushes, it's, it's, it's burning, but it, it's not consumed. And so it indicates that the fire was in the bush, not of the bush. But why a flame of fire? And I believe the answer would be this. It's because all throughout the Bible, the imagery of fire is used to refer to the majesty, the glory, and the holiness of God. We sang about holy is the Lord, holy, holy, holy. 
that all throughout the Bible, just look for it. When you look for it, you'll see it. It's there. This, This imagery of fire. Now think about it. Fire on a day like yesterday, you know, a bonfire. You want to move in, it feels good. It's comforting. But then there are times when fire is like, whoa, get back. Get back, it'll consume me. So it's interesting that God uses that kind of imagery because we, we see this the closeness and warmth and then there are times when we realize God is holy. Get back. But then look at verse 5. Okay? Look at verse 5. Building a case here. Then he said, now this would be God. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Whoop, stop. Where is he? Where, where is Moses? Remember, where is he? He's in the what? Wilderness, right? Now, wait a minute. Just a few minutes ago, he's in the wilderness, and there's nothing special about that, okay? But all of a sudden now, Moses, the place you are standing on is holy ground. Don't come any nearer. What turned an ordinary wilderness into holy, sacred ground? Heaven and earth have intersected. A holy God has come down. Yeah. April of this year, uh, let's go back to April of this year, Pew Research, periodically they will do, especially uh, interviewing the American public regarding religious matters. April of this year, they took a survey to determine how many Americans believe in God. Yeah, you you want to guess how many? 80%. You know what that means, right? Eight out of ten say they believe in God. And so you might want to go, oh, that's great. It's good. Eight out of ten people in America believe in God. A bunch of Muslims over there, a bunch of Chinese Confucianism, a bunch of, you know, but look at us. Eight, eight out of ten Americans believe in God. Question, is it a holy God? When you read the survey, you will find out it's not a holy God they believe. Here's the question we got to ask. When eight out of ten Americans say they believe in God, is he the God? Now listen very carefully. Is he the God who when Solomon in the Old Testament dedicated the temple, the glory of God was so overpowering that the priests could not perform their service? Is he that God? Is he the God when the apostle John saw him, his face was like the sun shining in full strength, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet as dead? When John saw the resurrected, glorified Christ, he did not turn around and say, what's up, Jesus? Let's sing some praise music, man, come on, you know. No, he fell at his feet as dead. Is that the God that eight out of ten Americans believe? Is he the God who Isaiah, we read it this morning, he trembled. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the entire temple And I said, in response to that, Isaiah said, Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm coming apart at the sight of this glorious, majestic, holy God. Imagine with me. Imagine you're having a church service. And, you know, the... one leading the service says, hey, 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 brothers and sisters out there, are you happy this morning? You know, that kind of, you know, crazy mess. And they, and then they, and they say, hey, look, I want, you, I want you to, we're going to talk about the attributes of God this morning. So I want you to call out to me. When I say, the Lord, the Lord you are, and you, you fill in the blank. Yeah. 
Can't you, can't you hear it in America? He'll be there. Uh, the the Lord, Lord, you are. And then the crowd would say something like, loving. He's loving. Okay, good. Lord, you are merciful. And then over on this side, someone would say, he's gracious. And then somebody on this side would say, oh, he's kind. He's kind. And somebody on this side would say, oh, he's compassionate. And then in the crowd, Isaiah sticks up his hand and says, he's holy and he's terrifying. How do you think that would fit in American worship services? See, I'm asking you this. When eight out of ten Americans believe in God, you see this God? Is he the God of verse 6? Look at verse 6 with me. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Look at this. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. My Lord in heaven. Why? Why, why did this happen? Why didn't Moses, you know, why didn't Moses, you know, why didn't Moses, you know, come out and write a book and go on the book circuit and, you know, on the Christian radio and Christian television, you know, well, I want to tell you about my experience. I looked in there and I saw this, light, you know, no, he's afraid. He's struck with fear, turned his face away. What a mighty God. Why? Why in the world did Moses turn away? I think the answer is this. Friends, we were made to gaze upon the glory of God. We were made for that. We were made by God for his good pleasure, to enjoy him, to worship him, and to serve him. But what do we find in the Bible? We find that Adam and Eve were enjoying God in the garden. They were walking with him and talking with him and gazing upon his glory. But then they rebelled against him. And when they rebelled, what happened? They hid themselves and were afraid. And in our unholy condition, which we inherited, and brother and sister know it, we inherited that unholy condition. And because we did, it's no longer safe to come into the presence of a holy God. That's why Moses turned his face. So how do we solve this problem? Holy God, unholy people. How do we fix that? Uh, there's a couple of ways that we have tried as human beings. We, we've tried this one. We, one, we try to solve the problem by exaggerating our own holiness. Okay? What's that mean? Uh, this week I saw an interview, Dan Rather, Rod Stewart. Uh, Rod Stewart was wearing a cross. Yeah. He's wearing a cross. And so Dan said, you're wearing a cross? Are, are you a religious person? Oh, yeah, Dan. Yeah, I, 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 tell, my, I tell my children this. Here, here, here's what I tell all of my children. Listen, do good and be good. There it is. There it is. That's the American mantra. That's the exaggeration of our holiness. Just be a good person. He actually went on to say, that's my religion. Be good, do good. Friends, that is an exaggeration of our holiness. To think that I'm okay. See, that's one way we try to solve the problem. I am a good person. I do good things. I'm not perfect, but I'm good. I do good things. We exaggerate our own holiness in an attempt to solve this bridge between a holy God and unholy people. But then there's another way we try to do it, and that is by minimizing the holiness of God. We, 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 We carve out the certain attributes of God that we are uncomfortable with. God, holy God... Uh, a just God, a loving God, I'll, I'll take that. I'll 
take loving God, I'll take compassionate God, I'll take kind God, I'll take those things. And then we end up thinking, God's not all concerned about this behavior. God's not all concerned about this. And, and God's all right with this. And just a few years ago, there's a, there's a woman by the name of Karen, or I'm sorry, Kelly Ann Waltz. She took in a black bear cub as a pet. Now, Catherine and I have a puppy, you know. She took in a black bear cub. She named the black bear cub Teddy. Of course, Teddy Bear. But how many of you know that naming a black bear cub Teddy doesn't mean you have done away with their animal instincts? They are still not a domesticated pet. And that's why that in 2009, this now 350-pound bear killed Kelly while she was cleaning its cage. Friend, we cannot minimize the holiness of God. We cannot domesticate God. Say, I'll take this kind of God, and God can be my little pet. See, it will not end well because he is a holy God. And that brings me to this, and I'm going to try to wrap all of this up quickly. That's why I believe this really happened. I believe that what we're reading in Exodus chapter 3 fits the pattern of a holy God perfectly. Because if God is who he has revealed himself to be, it makes sense. Because, you see, it's not safe for the unholy. In other words, God doesn't just, you know, people want God to just show up. Show up in my bedroom. Well, you can't take that. You couldn't stand that. God said, God will say later to Moses, you, you see my face, you can't live. So this idea of God just, just showing up in my bathroom or showing up, you know, on the front porch or whatever. No, this fits very well with the fact that he is a holy God. And if he is, he must pres- prescribe for us how he will come, not us prescribe how he will. Let me, let me just, you're, you're going, okay, got it. What can we take away from this, number one? This begs the question, right, does God speak today? I mean, we're reading this, and you're probably sitting there going, man, man, I tell you, I could sure use God speaking to me right now. I, I read a sermon title. I was doing some research for all of this. and th- One of the titles I ran across was this. God has burning bushes set up in your life. Are you seeing them? No. <laughs> as, as if to say... As if to say, this is the kind of stuff you can just wake up every morning and, you know, you run over here and God said something over here and then God said something over here, you know. Should we be looking for and expecting God to speak in this manner today that we're reading about in Exodus chapter 3? I'm going to let the Bible answer this. Hebrews chapter 1, we read the first part. Let's read the second part. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Um, A couple of years ago, my wife, uh, my wife's a diabetic, and she went into what's called ketoacidosis. Didn't know a thing about it. It, to me, it looked like a really, really bad, bad, bad flu. And so over a few days, she got worse, got worse, got worse. And so on a Sunday afternoon, left church, went home. Candy was staying with her. And she said, Dad, you know, she's not getting any better. And... um, the thought dawned on me. I thought, maybe we ought to go to the hospital. Maybe. But I knew she didn't want to go. It was February. It was cold. You know, it was just a nasty day. And uh, no, we're going to ride this out. You know. And so as the day got longer, we thought, it's just, we're going to ride this out. But I'll never forget this. About 7 o'clock, I was sitting there. And let me be real clear about this. I did not hear a voice. I have never heard a voice. 
Never. And I don't expect to. I really don't. But what happened was I had this sense of urgency of like, go to the hospital and go now. So I called Candice. you got to get down there and help me. We, we took her to the hospital, went to the emergency room. Let me be quick about this emergency room doctor. I told him, I said, look, we thought it was flu. And I'll never forget him looking across the room at me. And he said, look, if you'd have waited at minimum, she would have been in a diabetic coma in the morning. At worst, she would have been dead. Now, listen, here's what I want to say to you. Did God speak to me? No, no. What it was, I think, was providence, not prophecy. Notice, I didn't hear a voice. I did not hear a voice as if God was speaking to me in any way. What was happening, I believe, is God was working providentially in my thoughts for which I will be forever thankful. But I say that to say this. There's a difference between God working providentially and prophetically speaking. You see, when I get up every day now, that is not my primary source. I don't sit in the same chair, okay? I don't sit in that same chair and go, Lord, the last time, you know, speak to me now. I don't do that. I don't look at the tea leaves in my life and try to figure out, God, is it that you speaking? No, you know why I don't? Because he's spoken to his people in these last days today through his son. I don't look at the tea leaves. I don't listen for voices. I look at Jesus I want to know what he said. I want to know what he said to his apostles to write down. In other words, look to Jesus. Look to what he said. Look to his life. Let that that speak to you. That's God speaking to you. Secondly, what is God's bush today? God spoke in the bush there, you know. I mean, like, that bush was kind of like his temple where he dwelt. Where Where does God dwell today? Where does God dwell today? In his people, in his church. And see, this this fact wonderfully solves our problem between a holy God and an unholy people. See, how can the unholy come into the presence of the holy God? What's the answer? Do we exaggerate our holiness? No, that won't work. Do we minimize the holiness of God? No, that won't work either. But what will work is we must be made holy ourselves. And the wonderful truth is this. Jesus Christ came and obeyed the law of God with perfect holiness. And he died on the cross to take away our unholiness. And through faith in Christ, what? We are made holy. That's why the Bible calls us saints, holy ones. We have been made holy. And he gives us his spirit to empower us now to live out what we are. Notice in 1 Peter, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Quickly, can we come near to God today? Remember God said to Moses, don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. Can we draw near to God today? Oh, yeah. Here's what, here's what it says for New Testament believers in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Isn't that great? Looks at Moses. Moses, don't you come any near. He looks at New Covenant believers and says, come on. Come right up here to my throne. Come over, tell me what you need. Isn't that great? Because of Jesus. We have that access. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, maybe, maybe that's what those folks were dancing about over there. I don't know. Maybe they read in the scriptures, come near, come near. You who are far off, come near. That'll make you want to dance. It'll make you want to shout. It'll make you praise the living God. One final thing. We said, does God speak today? Yes, he's spoken to us by his son. But here's an important thing. 
important thing. Does God listen today? I know a lot of people who speak and they won't shut up. <laughs> you know, you know them, right? You know, you say, yeah, I know that person. Yeah. You, you, you're looking for an ear to hear. You're looking for somebody to hear. And, and then you, you come and you, you tell them, you, you, you know, you tell them and then they go, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. That happened to me. And you're going, look, I don't need anybody to compare. I just need somebody to listen. God speaks. Yes, he does. But he's the best listener. Look, look at verse 9. I'm going to close. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. Charles Spurgeon was preaching in this chapter. And here's what he said about God listening. Listen to this. He said, sinner, tell God your misery even now and he will hear your story. He is willing to listen even to that sad and wretched tale of yours about your multiplied transgressions, your hardness of heart, your rejections of Christ. Tell him all, for he will hear it. Tell him what it is you want, what large mercy, what great forgiveness. Just lay your whole case before him. Do not hesitate for a single moment. He will hear it. He will be attentive to the voice of your cry. Friend, I don't know what God it is that 80% of Americans believe in. The God that I believe in is the God of the Bible who is holy. He speaks. He listens. He saves. For those in Jesus, he says, come on up here to my throne. Come on up here. I want to give you the help you need.